Hello, and welcome to Macro Minutes. During each episode, we'll be joined by RBC Capital Markets experts to provide high conviction insights on the latest developments in financial markets and the global economy. Please listen to the end of this recording for important disclosures. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the October 25th edition of Macro Minutes, entitled Let's Get Restrictive. With most central banks at a maturing stage of the hiking cycle, terminal policy rates are firmly in focus. The BOC and Fed are poised to move into clearly restrictive territory in upcoming meetings, while next week's BOE meeting comes after more than a month of fiscal policy-induced volatility. And a 75 basis point hike from the ECB seems all but assured on Thursday. Outside of rates, FX moves have been outsized and attention on commodities remains with implications for inflation. To provide some insights on this landscape, we have a full lineup of RBC experts. Peter will kick off with the latest from the UK and this week's ECB meeting. Elsa will provide an update in FX space, and Blake will discuss next week's Fed meeting and views on the Treasury market. I'll look at tomorrow's Bank of Canada meeting with implications for terminal rate and curves, and Michael will conclude on the oil oil market dynamic, the fundamental push for the policy pull. Uh, With that, we'll start with Peter. Over to you. Thank you, Simon. What I'll try to do in the next two or three minutes is, first of all, give you a little bit of insights on the latest moves here in the UK and the implications for markets. And then secondly, as Simon was alluding to, speak about the upcoming ECB meeting. So first of all, I guess one of the things that you have um, undoubtedly noticed is that the political leadership here in the UK um, has changed once again, um, and it has been relatively quick. So the previous chancellor, not the previous, but the prior chancellor, Rishi Sunak is now the Prime Minister, and it seems likely that he will leave the current Chancellor in office. He gave his first speech, um, but we don't really know all the details about what they will do in terms of fiscal policy. But the key thing is that they seem to be um, radiating a little bit more competence, seem to be radiating a little bit more respect for the market, and seem to be also radiating um, a willingness to have say at least a little bit more grips on um, the on, on, on the budget itself and the amount of borrowing that is required. And you can see that in some of the announcements that have already been made, for instance, in the, um, in the tax policies that have been announced or, for instance, uh, in the changes to the um, energy support package. Now, how that all plays out over the medium term remains to be seen, but I think the key message here for the, in the here and now is twofold. First of all, the market seems to take the um, change in leadership as a positive. Uh, whilst markets are still relatively volatile, um, yields have come down. Um, the, the, the volatility, despite still being relatively high, has also come down. And I think it seems also clear in the um, in the currency market, and with the recent re-strengthening of sterling to some degree, and that the market is taking a little bit of heart here. Now, the, some of the structural factors for the UK and the UK economy and the UK fiscal position certainly won't go away, but the air of at least having a somewhat more um, um, competent leadership in place is helping markets here. Now, what does it mean for us in terms of positioning? Um, we have argued for quite a while now over the last two weeks that what was priced in in the front end of the UK curve in particular, where at one point we were pricing short-end rates over 6% um, as a response to the instability that we had was exaggerated. Uh, We think that um, currently we are better priced, but probably still exaggerated. We have been long in June 23 Sonia futures, and we remain long here, and we think there's another um, 50 basis points probably of profit to be made. 
Now, <clears throat> shifting gears a little bit um, to the ECB on Thursday, as Simon was alluding to in his intro, um, it seems very likely that the ECB will hike rates again by 75 basis points. And in my mind, that's not necessarily what's going to move the needle. Um, the two things that, in my mind, have a much uh, larger propensity to move markets are, first of all, how are they guiding markets, if at all, going forward? Um, how are they um, treating in the press conference, in particular, sort of the question about where they want to get to? Last time around, um, we have been, uh, or we didn't learn a lot because Lagarde has been quite evasive. Previously, she said they want to get to neutral, but hasn't sort of put a number to that. Will they do anything like that? Because at 150, where we're most likely going to be in the deposit rate, we're probably still quite at neutral, but we're closer to numbers that have been handed around, such as 2%, or slightly above 2%, and, and the market is still implying something around 3 So also here, we think that the front end provides value. We don't have the same kind of positioning on as we have in sterling because we think the opportunities in sterling are greater. Uh, but also here, I think there is um, potential for the market to recover some of the losses that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. And then the second point, and that's my last point I'm going to make, uh, as far as the ECB is concerned, uh, what else is in store? Well, there has been a lot of talk about um, changing the either the remuneration of reserves um, or changing the um, teltro um, um, details, how the banks have been borrowing from the ECB. And uh, that is something of a bit of an unknown. It has already created quite a lot of volatility, um, both in the front end, in repos, as well as in, um, uh, as well as in the basis markets. And this is really something that we should be paying close attention to. What is the ECB's intention here, will they allow um, a negative tiering, for instance, or will they maybe change retrospectively the um, details of the TLTRO and cause uh, fairly significant early repayments? All of these are quite unknowns. The market doesn't have a good steer, so I think this is something that could cause a volatility, and we should be paying close attention to when the details will be announced. And with that, I'll probably leave it and hand it back to Simon. Thanks very much for those insights, Peter. Now we'll shift to Elsa on FX. So from my side, I'm just going to say a couple of things on currencies heading into this week's central bank meetings. And we're working on a piece at the moment, which will be um, published in, in your inboxes very soon, looking at something that we've heard anecdotally, both from our traders internally and also from clients. And that's the sense that G10 effects is not really trading off of short-end rates like you would expect. In fact, if you look at the correlation between dollar pairs and foreign yields, so dollar CAD against Canadian yields or uh, euro dollar against European yields, we're finding that the correlation is positive. So the dollar is actually outperforming when foreign yields are going up, the complete opposite of what you would normally expect. We think that's a function of two things. One, US yields are highly correlated to yields in the rest of G10, and two, U.S. yields are driving the dollar higher against the rest of G10, so by extension driving that positive correlation between the dollar and non-U.S. front-end rates. What does that mean for, say, CAD going into the Bank of Canada tomorrow? Well, the decision is finely balanced, and I know, Simon, you'll have more to say on that in a bit. Um, but analysts are split roughly 60-40 in favor of 75 beats. Either way, there should be some reaction, but dollar CAD may not be the best way to play it. If you look at CAD correlations on the crosses, Aussie CAD, Euro CAD, Sterling CAD, CAD Stocky, there you find a stronger impact for Canadian front-end rates. So we've gone with short Aussie CAD as our trade of the week, um, heading into Australian CPI tonight, Bank of Canada tomorrow. Um, but of course, you could be looking at Euro CAD or Sterling CAD, depending on your underlying bias. 
I'll leave it there and pass back to you, Simon. Thanks very much, Elsa. Uh, moving to Blake now on the U.S. Hey, thanks, Simon. Um, so, yeah, we've basically got two kind of events coming up next week that are really in focus for the U.S. Um, that includes, obviously, the FOMC on Wednesday, but actually earlier on Wednesday we will um, also be getting an announcement from Treasury uh, for their quarterly refunding process. Um, first with the blackout, uh, sorry, first with the FOMC, we've entered the blackout period. Um, you know, we're holding on to uh, kind of terminal ceiling at 5% and uh, 10s at kind of 425 ceiling until then, I think. Um, you know, markets have essentially locked in uh, the 75 basis point hike for this meeting. Um, remember, we won't get any SDP update, um, you know, at the meeting next week. So I think all the attention is really going to be on Powell's characterization of a potential uh, step down or slowdown in the pace of hikes. Um, the focus on this topic is, has grown a lot um, heading into the blackout period. We had some dovish comments from Brainerd and Daly. Um, you know, there's also a, an article from the Fed Whisperer himself, Nick Timrose, at the Wall Street Journal. Um, they kind of suggested there would be a, a debate about the pace of hikes at next week's meeting. So I think that's got a lot of people kind of looking to this to see some kind of guidance on, um, you know, whether they're going to, um, you know, start to start to step down that pace in hikes at the December meeting. Um, However, I do think Powell's going to be hesitant to say too much, um, particularly with two CPI prints between now and the December meeting. I don't think he's going to want to lock himself um, into any course of action and probably try to spend most of the press conference avoiding uh, those kind of dovish pitfalls in the way that he did fairly successfully um, at the last press conference. Um, I think the one difference here, though, is that if there is kind of a growing chorus of, um, you know, uh, of dovish members who, who do want to see uh, some kind of step down in the pace, um, you know, when he speaks at these FOMC press conferences, he is speaking on behalf of the committee. So, um, you know, there's a possibility in kind of wrapping in those discussions and giving, um, you know, giving some kind of uh, uh, weight to all the views being kind of presented at the table that those, um, you know, that those comments could come off a little bit dovish in that he has to give some kind of, um, you know, some kind of nod to, to uh, those wanting a step down. Uh, and markets could interpret that as his view or even the core view. And um, I do think that's probably the dovish risk coming out of that press conference. Um, you know, turning real quickly to the refunding meeting, um, I'm not projecting any more cuts to coupon auction sizes. Um, you know, recall that over the last year, uh, all four quarters, we have seen uh, pretty significant cuts to coupon auction sizes. Um, I expect that campaign is basically over um, starting this, this next month. Um, that also, I should note, includes 20s. Um, a lot of focus on the 20-year sector it has been targeted for large uh, larger cuts than the rest of the sector, and I think there's some thought out there that maybe the Treasury would continue to uh, cut those auction sizes, but I have those stopping along with the cuts to the rest of the curve. Um, you know, given that there won't be, in my view, any changes um, you know, to, to auction sizes, I think most of the focus is going to be on potential for a buyback program. Um, you know, a lot of chatter about that um, after Treasury uh, uh, asked about potential buybacks uh, in the dealer refunding survey that they sent out uh, last week. Um, really got kind of that, that market conversation going around the possibility they'd be coming into doing buybacks. My view is that, um, you know, that question on the survey was likely more exploratory. exploratory. I don't think they're, uh, you know, kind of on the precipice of announcing some major buyback uh, program. And even if they were to give some guidance on how they may use buybacks in the future, I think it's probably going to be less than what um, some market participants are likely getting excited about, which is probably more of a, a regular steady program where they're in kind of a day-to-day, -day, much like the Fed was during QE, um, you know, buying off the run securities and kind of bolstering 
day-to-day liquidity, uh, it, it, the day-to-day liquidity conditions. But I think it's probably even if they were to do something, it'd be something much lighter than that. So um, that's it for me, and uh, I'll pass it back to you, Simon. Great, thank you, Blake. Very useful. Um, now shifting to Canada. Uh, as also said, meeting this week on Wednesday, one of the most difficult to call in the cycle, we think. We're on the lower end at 50 basis point hike, while market pricing and consensus has shifted to 75 following communication from Governor Macklem earlier this month and also uh, last week's September CPI report. Um, supporting our view for 50 basis point is that, is that the macro backdrop has likely evolved pretty close to the bank's expectations since the September policy meeting with headline inflation moving lower, 6.9% currently, and underlying inflation showing signs of stabilizing around 5%, though both certainly remain too high for the Bank of Canada to be comfortable at those levels. Medium-term inflation expectations are similarly too high, though with some early moderation visible in recent Bank of Canada business and consumer surveys. Moreover, we think 50 basis points at this meeting gives the bank sufficient flexibility at subsequent meetings to maintain that size if progress on inflation is slower than anticipated or continue to reduce the increment with 25 basis points in December if they feel like progress is sufficient. Uh, Into restrictive territory, uh, even 50 basis point increments provide a better ability to calibrate policy than larger hikes such as 75. Support for a 75 basis point move comes from the level of inflation outlined and an economy still deemed to be in excess demand, so in other words, domestic sources of inflation pressures. The currency depreciation is a new factor that the bank has highlighted and adds to inflation concerns, modestly we would say, but we'd argue it looks less on a trade-weighted basis than, than just against the U.S. dollar. For terminal, we do think a 75 basis point hike opens up a likely path to 450 to 5% for the terminal policy rate, with a gradual step down, say 50 basis points in December, 25 basis points in January, uh, resulting in a 475 setting. So that, that gets them to quite an elevated policy rate by that time. Is the bank convinced that they need to take it there at this stage? Uh, one thing that stands out to us in rates market is that despite the yield move higher, curve inversion, so two tens around minus 63 basis points as I'm talking, is not the most pronounced it's been for the cycle. If the bank does deliver a 75 basis point hike and is on a path to 450 to 5% on the policy rate, then that will increase the pain on the activity side, the output side, and could easily result in, in inversion pushing 100 basis points, as has been seen in earlier high inflation periods. Uh, and to finalize things, we have... Michael speaking on the oil market. Over to you, Michael. Um, Look, there's clearly a lot of macro-driven factors impacting the oil market, and we see a lot of chop in in the push-pull between what we're calling a fairly strong oil oil market fundamental backdrop versus the the soft economic backdop that uh, those on this call have been highlighting. So I think the the key question is, we're trading in the low 80s right now for WTI. Um, We anticipate that prices will likely just chop around this level in in a fairly wide range. Um, But I think it's fair to, to really highlight, how do we get here? So I think there's been really two oil markets so far this year. First half of 2022, what we saw was a fundamentally driven market. We really looked at supply, demand factors, inventories, crack spreads, really driving um, oil market sentiment, oil market direction. Come Q3 of this year, what we saw was a market that's been entirely policy-based. So what I mean by that is we went from OPEC, 
uh, and a loosening policy to a tightening policy in just a very short couple of months. Uh, we saw the Biden SPR program uh, in, in the biggest volumes we've ever seen. You know, there's headlines about the EU embargo on Russian energy price caps to China's COVID zero policy to Iranian nuclear talks to, of course, the Fed. All of these are major swing factors for the oil market, but they're all driven by policy and less driven by fundamentals. And oil market participants loathe trading off of a policy driven market and would rather trade a market that is is uh, focused on following the barrel, being able to count the barrels, and understand the supply and demand factors. So what we've had here over the course of the past three to four months is a very high degree of what we're calling policy paralysis. And this leads to a high degree of positioning paralysis. What we've seen is liquidity in WTI is about 40%, 42% below normal over the course of the past three to four months. And when you get you know low volume throughput traded, what happens is you ultimately get a low degree of or a high degree of volatility. Now, I think there are two oil markets right now as well, the near term and the medium term. We continue to be constructive the cycle over the medium term. Uh, there's little that can change our mind about that, just given the fundamental setup for the next several years. But over the very near term, we do strike a cautious tone here. I mean, you simply just have to respect the macro backdrop. Uh, what we have uh, going into next year is a fairly sluggish growth theme. We see oil demand growth at about 700,000 barrels a day or so, which, save for the uh, save for the COVID year of 2020, uh, we haven't seen a year like this in in quite some time. Now, in a recessionary scenario, we think that there's scope for prices to move potentially down to the low 60s, uh, which is about $20 lower from where we are now. Uh, just to give everybody a, uh, a sense of framework here, in 2008, uh, that recession, what we saw was we lost about 2.2% of global oil demand, and we saw demand contract for, for five quarters. Now, my main concern here in the global oil market um, that's different than recessions in the past is that in this downturn, uh, we do not have the backstop of China just given the zero COVID policy. Now, China's really pulled us out of almost every uh, soft oil demand uh, backdrop over the course of the past 20 or 25 years. But at this point, it's difficult to see that there's a natural buyer of last resort if China's not there. And rarely in our careers have we ever seen um, a strong oil market uh, and a weak China at the same time. But with that, why don't I leave it there and uh, pass it back to Simon. Thank you, Michael, and thank you for joining us for Macro Minutes. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.